Hey, buddy. Hey, Rob. How you doing, man? Good. Good. I have I have not talked to you in a really, really long time. You know the show, and I'm going to tell everyone listening that you know the show. But yeah. for those who don't know the show, I always give a little context, um, and you can quickly do visual research on the past guests. But my buddy Johnny Reese here is a class of 2010 drama school graduate, which means... I know him very well, uh, more well maybe than many people on the podcast. But I would say still like I would call us like uh, upper middle class acquaintances. Yeah, I was thinking I was like, how much did I hang out with Rob at school? Right. I was very I didn't like go to a whole lot of the big parties and stuff, which is right. Like I have so much visual time memory with you of like seeing you and being around you. But then you're what, you know, I have that with quite a few people. And then when I really sit down to like do the show with them, I'm like, do I fucking know anything? (laughs) I don't know if I know anything really other than what I, what happened with us, you know, there's those memories, but like the before the after all of it, it's like, it's kind of a wash. So, um, I'm really excited to catch up with you because we also haven't talked much at all, maybe, no. since then. We saw each other at a party yeah. in December. Yeah, and I bullied you into letting me into this podcast there. Bully is an intense word to use <laughs> given that I invited you uh, on the podcast. But yeah, bully bully, well, uh, well done. Um, I have to tell you, man, I just – we were talking before we started – and if this is if this is true what you say, I have no reason to doubt you. It's the first person I've ever talked to who's been on the show who's told me that they've listened to almost all of it. We just had a lovely uh, Sophia on the show, dancer, uh, wonderful, wonderful guest. And she has listened to a lot more than I think a lot of people. But man, it sounds like you've listened to maybe more than anybody who's ever been on the show. Do you think this is true? Sounds like it. Yeah, maybe. So like my my muggle job is I work for an, a gift giving app. So like I just put things on in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I knew that I was going to be actually doing the show, I was like, well, I need to know what the show is like. Like, what, like I don't know, because my time at NCSA was interesting. And uh, so I was like, all right, let's be prepared for whatever this talk will be. Right. I always get so... Uh, moved and sad when uh daniel starts singing because we were supposed to do a play together and he ended up getting another play and we didn't get to do it together and i it would have been so fun you know what's fun about daniel limone who you're talking about singing the intro is uh i've tried to he's been on the show once in the capacity of he, uh, he and his band, the Blue Eyed Bettys, came huh. on and they like sang some songs in a very early episode when I was first trying to figure out like what the fuck this was. Sure. And they like talked a tiny about desk type thing. Yeah, and yeah, exactly that. And I and uh, there was a lot of NPR influence when I first started. Very This American Life, and I was putting in music. And uh, uh, if you listen to like the first, I think eight episodes before Matt Cowart, which I really think is the first full episode, it's just one Ooh. person. Um, but back when I was doing that, I had the band on and we talked a little bit, but I was always like, and this is 2014. I was like, got to get you on just you. And I want to talk to you because he's a pretty quiet guy at school, you sure. know? So, and he was very generous to let me like, you know, pay him nothing, but pay him. And I did to use the music for the podcast. And so I was like, we got to have you on, have you do a full episode. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have spent years, every time I've done the show, I think being like, Daniel, 
let's go. And he's like, yeah. And then it's one of those like LA let's get lunch things. It fucking oh, just sure. never happens. Yeah. I mean, Steven sent him your- an email this morning. Steven <laughs> copped it. He was like, Hey, what's up? Here's some new dates. We'll fucking see. We'll Don't see. Hold your breath, everybody. Well, that's funny. I was walking. So I live in um, Sugar Hill, Harlem. And I was walking, there's a graveyard on the way to Riverside Park. Mm-hmm. And I was going, listening to your podcast uh, on a walk the other day. And I was like, this dude up here looks like Andrew Wells Ryder. And I was like, that's strange because Andrew Wells Ryder lives in Brooklyn. And then uh, he's walking slow because he's walking his dog and I'm gay. So I walk fast. And I. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I was like, I got to pass this guy. So I was going to pass him and I looked and I was like, that is Andrew Wells Ryder. I was like, what are you doing up here? Um, I was like, I had just seen a picture of him and Daniel Mound and uh, Ryan Pater. I was like, what's going mm. on? And he just moved to my neighborhood. So it's a very oh, that's fun week. Well, know. please mention to him that he also needs to be on the show and has not been yet. Uh, love, 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 love to talk to Andrew. Let's talk about you. Where are you from? Stock question. Johnny Reese. <laughs> I am from uh, South Carolina. I <clears throat> am peripatetically from South Carolina. What the fuck does that mean? I don't think I've ever heard that word. Means from many places, or like having peripatetically. You know where I learned that word is from Rosemary Harris. Fuck yeah, yeah. It's like such a like delightful word to say as well. (laughs) I love that. I've yeah, yeah, and I want to mention this because I'm curious if you're like this. You don't seem like a person who would have this problem, but I'm very curious because I don't want to judge you. I have this problem where for a really long time, like into my mid twenties. If someone said a word and I didn't know what it meant, I was too cool to ask. And I had to just pretend like I knew the fucking word. I'm like, yeah, peripatetically, totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the word I was going to use. And then, <laughs> and then somewhere in like, I think it was like really while I was in, maybe it was while I was like properly in Gerald's program and just questioning everything. I was like, I don't know what anything means. And I always feel stupid. I just switched into like it's what I just did, which is like, I'm so sorry to interrupt what the, f- I, you lost me with that word completely. And I just want to add it to my book. I have no shame in admitting I don't know where it is. Do you deal with that? Have oh you? yeah, I was just, I literally just had a conversation this morning with my friend, Anna, who um, <clears throat> is an amazing person and very well read. And I was like, I just maybe in the last five years made a conscious choice to be like, I've never seen that. In a right. way that I used to be like, I've seen that movie. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, I don't know what I thought I was getting from lying to this person that I was, that I had seen this thing. Like, I don't know, but I've made a very conscious choice to be like, Hey, what does that mean? I've never read that book. Should I, you know, like, yeah. That's <laughs> if the, and you know what drives me crazy? Cause I have people in my life who do it now and they do the soft core version and it's actually more annoying. I'd rather you just go hard and hope you don't get caught in the lie. <laughs> I would, because what I don't like and annoys me is, I think I've, yeah, I've heard of that. And I've, I think I read a chapter or they, they like fake yeah. some familiarity so that you'll fill in the gap. And then they're also not fully ignorant. I'm like, totally. man, just pick one. Yeah. They're Either like, you I, fucking know this thing. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So I too am in the same boat. It's like a very conscious thing that I've decided to no longer do. Right. So as to let, as one peripatetic young man to another, uh, South Carolina is the home yes. claim. Yes. Uh, so I was born in Charleston. My father 
was in the Air Force. We moved to Florida. My brother was born on a base there. Then we moved back to South Carolina to Rock Hill. And is then mom I'm, mom or is mom working also? And mom. Mom is mom. Got it. For like the Often first- with the military, mom is mom. Yeah. 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 Um, with the benefits. Yeah. I mean, why the yeah, why totally. wouldn't you? You know? Like all my mom ever wanted to do was to be a mother. So Oh great. Yeah. Uh yeah. And then Rock Hill. And then I went to boarding school in Greenville, which is like really where I consider myself to be from. And you are you a governor's school kid? Yeah, I'm a governor's that's the boarding school. Yeah. The right, school. right, 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 right. That's the one. It's always that was a I mean, we've talked about this so many times and uh, it's cool because I can take for granted that you've heard me say things already. That's kind of a weird angle of this conversation that I normally don't have. Oh, um, well, don't be self-conscious. Too. But it, well, no, no, I, I just, I can kind of take it for granted and I don't have to repeat myself. But I, for me, that experience is so wild of the high school focus, such a focus on arts at that level. And then you get to like, in Winston-Salem, I think they have like an elementary school. It's like arts based. Oh, like no everyone way. in the elementary school. Yeah. Like while we were there, I think I heard about that. Um, and it's like just in that elementary school, they're not taking art this year. It's like yeah. they take a lot of stuff. And it's so cool to see more and more of that. And it's it's curious to me why it seems to live on the East Coast. It's like the New York mentality about education kind of trickled down a little bit, which is literally the case for like school of the arts, but like, yeah, there's kind of this influence of like, yeah, just do the arts. Let's let them focus on that. But man, that really cuts off at the Mississippi dude. I tell you, it's just not so interesting. anywhere else. I have, I have a friend from Mississippi who I live with from my classmate from Yale. She went to a governor's school in Mississippi. Um, Son of a bitch. You're, it's so funny. It really That's does. That, yeah. There, I guess. <laughs> That's the line. Yeah. Wait, but aren't there like Jonathan went to like, what's that place called? Booker. Booker no. T. Washington. Yeah. Is that in Texas? Yeah, it's in Dallas, I think. Yeah. I think the thing that bums me out though, specifically is that I, I'm from Austin really is where I did like my formative, like end of elementary school all the way through high school, really a mm. little bit of time in New York city when I was in high school, but most of the time it's all in Texas in Austin, which is like the blue little artsy like rock and roll. Let's go live arts. And our best bet that I knew about was public high school was your best, but that's where like the good theater programs were. And, um, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't focused. Not really. Not in a, like, not in the way that like school of the arts, high school program is focused and you're doing that stuff at, you know, afternoon or whatever into the evening. Um, it just wasn't really the same way. When did you feel like, I mean, you have a wonderful and strong charismatic personality that I imagine you did not discover when you were like 17 years old, right? Like when did, when did the sparks start showing up for you that like you got people's attention very easily? Uh, per, I guess pretty, pretty early. How uh, did that manifest? So I grew up not only in a very military household, but I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Those almost never overlap completely. <laughs> yeah, and in the woods in South Carolina. So, ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. yeah, uh, and we were very church-going people. We went to church every Wednesday and Sunday. Oof. And 
I, double time. Double time because we really <laughs> needed it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I quickly learned that children's church was a way to get out of getting into like to, to having to sit through like the real service. Like once you were, you know, like eight or nine. <clears throat> yeah, dude. Because they had puppet shows and I learned that kids did those puppets. So I was like, I'm going to do the puppets to get out of church <laughs> and just hang back there and play Pokemon until the kids come down. And so then from there, I did that for vacation Bible school. And then, um, I did some that. lady. Oh yeah. Vacation Bible school. That's how I want to spend my summer. The best <laughs> free daycare for the, exactly. from the church. That's right. that is schools out free daycare. <laughs> exactly what that was my my family wasn't even particularly religious like my grandma was but my uh my my mom and my dad were both raised by religious people and kind of like silently quietly went off and did their own thing and didn't really impose it but when they were around my grandma was of course like we're gonna go to the easter egg hunt at the church we're gonna you know the like and so we would do a lot of stuff there and vacation bible school was free that was free daycare. And so yeah. my family was like, uh, turns out we love Jesus this summer because he's going to watch the kids. So, exactly. It's so true. Uh, so I love, you know what I think is interesting about that too, dude, is like you, your motivation, and this is so often the case, right? I feel like we as kids, especially into adolescence and teenager, a lot of the skill sets we learn and the things we figure out how to do or the things we become good at, they're not the ones that the adults are trying to give us, right. do us. They're actually the ones that we learn in spite of those efforts <laughs> to circumvent the shit they're trying to teach us. And then we end up learning how to do other shit around it. Does that make sense? Are you following what I'm trying oh, to put yeah, together? Oh, yeah, no, totally. Because uh, you're making me think, like, the other part of the story was, like, I felt more at home at school than I did at home just because of, like, the way I fit into my family. And mm. so, like, the relationships I started having with teachers because they recognized that, like, I was smart or, like, a little different and needed a sort of different education because it was still, like, the 90s and you could do that. Uh, right. And uh, I was like, oh, that's it, the thing. But yeah, it was circumventing like the morals I was trying to learn in yeah. my own household. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's a drag. It's, I almost feel, I'm always someone who's like, is there a way to feel for the person that I instantly want to make a villain? I'm always that, I'm always that person. I think I've been that way for a long time, but when I was at School of the Arts, man, that, those were my first questions. I asked Caroline Kava once. I was like, well, how do you play a truly evil person? You're telling me I got to relate to them and believe what they believe and think what they think. I was like, this guy's a fucking murderer or whatever. How am I supposed Bye. to relate to that? I don't want to kill anybody. And she's like, well, no one can be a villain to you because no one's a villain to themselves. Right. They're the hero. And I was okay. like, you know, I hadn't heard that yet. It's kind of a common thing in storytelling, but no one had said that to me yet. And so I... I continue to expand on that and and my bring that back to the thought that you were just expressing because I also grew up in kind of a, like like I said a semi conservative family kind of semi Christian and a lot of what we were doing like I said it was like trying to go around and the lessons that they were trying to 
I want to make sure I'm phrasing this right. The lessons that they were trying to teach, the I feel a little bit bad for them because I'm like, it's kind of tale as old as time that if you try to teach anyone a lesson too hard, they're going to rebel and like do the opposite thing at oh, the very sure. least just to spite you. Like yeah. that's not new. That's like in the Bible. <laughs> like, so, so, so how, how do you not know that that's likely to also, cause the Amish seem to get that. That's why they have like Rumspringer. They're like, Hey, we can go out, do your thing. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. It is what it is. We understand that how it, that's how it affects people. But a lot of the Southern Christians, like the people that we grew up around, there's a lot of disappointment when you abandon their community or belief system or whatever. And it's like, yeah. but you pushed us so hard. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? And then we met other people that were like, Oh, you're totally cool to, you can just be you. That's cool. We're yeah. Like, what? No, I mean, that's actually like a large thing that I'm working through because uh, shame is so intrinsic within like a gay experience in that mm. regard. Um, <clears throat> so if you're telling someone their entire life that just how they exist is wrong, right? that like like seeps into your pores. It seeps into your skeletal system, your psyche, your like cardiovascular system, your cells. And like to unlearn that has been a very big, interesting process. What's and I think that that comes from that sort of harsh, no, this is how you live life. This is how you don't live life. Right. And it's so wild because I feel like a lighter hand gets you gets you closer to those values or whatever it is they're really trying to get in there other than like don't be gay or whatever the thing is yeah. that they want to accomplish because obviously even if that's one of your values or that's something that you believe in or whatever you're dealing with that's not the only thing you care about like even oh. hardcore conservative of any group of any religion if they have a problem with people because they're gay because they're trans because they're different whatever their situation is that's not the only value they hold. They hold these other values. And because of their beliefs, those two things are at war. And so yeah. they can't exist at the same time. It's not. And so when you're brought up with that same belief system, right? And I don't, I should full disclosure just a little bit. I'm bisexual myself. It's not the same experience, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the way I grew up, that was not a conversation at all. Sure. Um, and I kind of, I got a little bit paved the way ahead of time. My cousin's gay. She passed away when I was younger, but the family kind of dealt with that. It was one of the first people that we really kind of were having those conversations with. Me and my sister kind of were like, everybody fucking be nice. Mm. <laughs> um, but it was, um, anyway, I digress. My point being is that um, when, like you said, it's in the pores, it's in the foundation of what you've come to understand the world to exist as, there is this unique opportunity that is very dark, but I'm kind of a silver lining guy. You end up getting to see the world in a unique way that if you can survive the trauma, if you can survive the pain, if you can cope with that fundamental war that's happening, there, there is some beautiful shit that you end up becoming kind of capable of in my, in my experience that without the oppression or without the misunderstandings or without the 
war, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that. Absolutely. And it's not like, it's not like I want to go back and do it again. No, but, no. but I'm trying to, you know, like I said, I'm a silver lining guy. Oh yeah. I totally feel the same way. Uh, would I like to have like quarters thrown at me again from my old high school? No, but like, that's a funny story now. <laughs> Is it? It sounds yeah. not funny to me right away, but we're both laughing. Have Is you, it funny? The movie Bottoms yet? No. Oh my god, it is so funny, and that that would totally be in that movie. Yeah. Mm. It's like, what happened to you? Huh? Well, I don't get the quarters thing. Oh, oh, like kids, you know, we'd be like faggot, and oh, sorry, Ooh, that word. You, uh, you can swear on this podcast if you want to. It's a, your and, own choice. Yeah, and like throw change at me in my old school in high school yeah that's a, cool. that's a new game i had not heard of <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's not Jesus. not a good one so i was very right. happy to go to my my art school <laughs> right it's so okay well then let's kind of jump do you want to jump it we'll jump ahead a little bit because i don't feel you know, like i've talked to you since like 2010 really like more than yeah, in passing exactly so what is the what is the out of school showcase in the new york i would imagine well like what is that experience for you yeah um showcase did not go so hot for me uh no. which was like super disappointing but i did get an agent out of it which was good so what uh, does not so hot mean because i think some people listening in their justifiable ignorance would be like you got an agent what what are you talking about yeah so i didn't get a lot of response i got like maybe two meetings or something. And they were from people that like, hmm, I had never heard of. They were sort of like, got it. Uh, the, the place that I, <laughs> because I looked like such a child when I graduated, <laughs> I essentially got signed to a child's agency. <laughs> um, who real wanted me to be like a musical leader twink. Like that's what they wanted. It, that was the time that Book of Mormon was in workshops. I looked sure. like a little Mormon. Um, I was I'm sorry a, to laugh at you, no, buddy. It's very funny. It's just like I'm imagining. Like, come on, it's like yes, it's baby gap, but you're the biggest kid. <laughs> no, well, at that time, there's a I, lot of kids that are smaller than you, John. It's gonna be fine. No, it's true. And at that time, I think I was shopping at Baby Gap and just getting a. <laughs> Because it was cheaper than real gap. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's... Uh, is there so, American boy dolls? Is that a thing? <laughs> there were no American boy dolls. Just <laughs> like X-Men and Power Rangers. <laughs> right. Yeah, Joe. Um, so I signed with this guy. He's really kooky. It does not go well. Um, okay. I moved to New York three days after graduation with... Andrew Jernigan and Matt Jellison, we pack up a U-Haul and drive from North Carolina to New York and have a great time. And then I move in with Molly Carden and Jared Thompson to Greenpoint. And then book an off-Broadway play that fall um, at Repertorio Espanol. So that was pretty lucky. But that was through contacts that I had like known, not too What mind. is that? It sounds Spanish. Yeah, it's uh, the theater is like a Spanish theater. But this, Do you speak Spanish? I don't speak Spanish. Um, the reason why this play was there is because the producer 
and uh, the lead actor are Spanish from Madrid. Oh, okay. But this play was is called Himmelweg or Way to Heaven, and it's an amalgamation of the true story. It's so dark. The amalgamation of the true story of three different concentration camps, where the oh, commandant, shit. yeah, the commandant would make the uh, prisoners pretend that the camps were like working villages, so that when the press came they would be able to like put out like, hey, no, we're not torturing these people. Um, look, they have a shop and they're like running around with balloons and it's like totally kosher. Uh, kosher so. is an interesting choice of words. I feel like, uh, so did you get, did you have to play a child or were you, yes, did you get I to play an adult Nazi? No, I played a child uh, uh, prisoner. Oh, okay. The only Nazi who's in the play was the commandant. Who is also Got a and one of Understood. the most incredible actors I've ever seen. He is nice. unbelievable. Yeah, that's pretty so, good. Yeah, I played a kid in the camp. So that gets it. What year did you do that? That was like 2010, or that was like a year later. Yeah, that was 2010. Fuck yeah. yeah. Okay, so then what's after that? What are you doing? Like, not, I don't um, even mean professionally. I just mean like, how's oh. what's what's next for you in that phase of your life? 2011, 2012. Yeah, I am learning to become a person, <laughs> I'd say. Ah, yes, we have heard this before, have we not, listeners? Learning yeah. to become a person, you yourself might have done this. Yeah. Can you share a bit of your journey with us, Johnny? Well, yeah, I mean, I grew up so sheltered. Um, mm. So, New What York, did that mean for you? Like, I was very naive about a lot of things, so like... Uh, like I didn't even drink a whole lot during college. I mean, I smoked a lot of pot, but I didn't drink. Sure. Um, so like I had never seen like people like stumbling down the street. I was, I mean, and I was from like the woods of South Carolina. The so woods. You see a lot of the same type of people. And then to go to New York and I was living in like a Polish neighborhood. I was living in Greenpoint. My landlords downstairs were Polish. Uh, they had this son who was like in and out of, um, jail and he would like sell drugs and they're like don't give him rent money please just give it straight to us sure, like of things that i had never ever experienced before but i was just right. like this is so amazing i was yeah. like, yeah felt like I he was, was living yeah I, I was seeing like life for the first time yeah Not, dude like, homogenized sort of mm, we made of, all these houses the same because it was cheaper exactly <laughs> which model do you have one through four um <clears throat> shit you have four <laughs> <laughs> not with the balcony no damn um, you sound like one of them two-story ass neighborhoods yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so true um yeah i started working at a restaurant with matt jellison on the upper west side and then we proceeded to get all of our friends hired um and we played restaurant together. <laughs> it was like this mom and pop shop. It's called Fred's. It has pictures of like dogs on the wall. Everyone Hell will bring yeah. the dogs. It's like a place where like, they called it like the cheers bar. You came in and everyone knew your name, that sort of thing. And we just had the best time working there. Like, and like we would go out afterwards and I don't know. I just started becoming a person. I, mm. I think that's the best way to describe it. Cause I also started, I mean, I've always had a pretty strong point of view, but I started experiencing things where I could be like, Oh, you know what? I don't need that one anymore. That's way better. And Oh, 
I'm seeing art for the first time in a way that I've never seen. I'm seeing, I, I started seeing a play a week in 2010 um, or 2011. So I like started having a point of view like, oh, even more so because we all have points of view during school. But like, I was like, oh, this is the living, breathing theater that's happening right now. Mm. And what do I like about where this is going or what do I think about this revival or that sort of thing? So that was pretty neat. Do you know what I think is very interesting about that experience is that I think it's all about the perspective that you're coming from and the one you're going to, because as you say that a lot of what you just expressed is how I felt when I was at school, Mm. but I was also not 18 years old when I got there. I was also, um, about the same age that you were when you were in New York having that experience. For sure. I think that's relevant. But I also think it's like, to you coming from like governor school and different like experiences and then going to school of the arts, it's like that, that feels kind of like step next step, the next thing, you know, Mm -hmm. next level that, and then going to New York is like, all right, now I'm at the fucking show to me because I never had that real concentrated experience or, or anyone really told me that I could take art seriously that way. When I got to Winston-Salem, I was like, I'm at the fucking show. Because oh. I was like, everyone's so fucking good. I've never been around so many people that were good. Hmm. Like, at everything. Like, I felt like everyone I talk to, everyone I know is so beautiful and talented. And that fades over time. When we first get there, it feels very overwhelming. Yeah. But, but I think it's interesting. And then... When I got to New York after I graduated, which is when I should have also had another one of those I'm at the fucking show moments. I got hired at Comedy Central like fucking 20 minutes basically after I graduated. That's a little amazing. bit of luck, a little bit of hard work. But it was like that should have been – and it was for like a couple months. And then like in like six months, I was like, I hate this. Mm. Like I just – it just didn't – the show wore the fuck off real fast. And it scared the shit out of me because I'm like, I thought this was the show. Right. I also was leaving school being like, I want to work in TV. And everyone told me like, good luck, kid. We don't know what the fuck to tell you. So I'm like, I landed TV anyway, yeah. despite no help. Well, not no help. Brandon got me the business card. But like, it was, it was supposed to be that. And I think it's so interesting when we have those moments of like, now I'm at the thing. And it doesn't have to be a big job or a high profile thing. Sometimes, like in my case, that can be smoke and mirrors in a way once you get there. But what you're talking about is just you and a bunch of friends hanging out, working a fucking bar, living your life, getting to see stuff, be in the city in like that fucking 90s sitcom way that we all like kind of thought about or Disney Channel, whatever the fuck you watched that was like, oh, one day I'm going to get to fucking be Miranda, whatever your thing was. Yeah. It's like... You, you get to do it. And for me, it's like, I didn't feel that again until I got here to LA. Then I finally was like, I'm in Hollywood. Holy shit. And I got to have another one of those. Wait I'm so minute. fascinated by that. Did you work for So You Think You Can Dance? Yeah. That is like one of my all-time favorite shows. <laughs> <laughs> you know I have that? a video of me auditioning for the producers. Oh, hilarious. I have a Molly friend. Murray was very disappointed when she saw it on Facebook. She would be. I yeah. love her. She's so funny. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Director. You know that, uh, that dance that Jackie and I did 
was from So You Think You Can Dance. Yeah, that makes sense. We totally Whose was it? Do you remember? Um, Mark and, oh, wait, who's the choreographer? Yeah, like who was the choreographer or who were the dancers that you were copying their shit? I might know them um, now. The choreographers were Tabitha and Napoleon. I met them. Nappy Tabs? Nappy Tabs, yep. Yeah, I met them. Mark was the guy and, shit, I can't remember the girl's name. Did they go on to like win or do well or anything? They went on to do pretty well and they come back as- so inside baseball. Yeah. But yeah, that's- um, that's yeah, that's super funny. There's a bunch of those things that kind of came full circle for me just like in working on stuff because I ended up in this niche genre that I've never participated in at all before I I was getting paid to. Um just like reality in general was never my thing. And I yeah. ju- and I and I've been transparent about I judged the shit out of people who liked it. I watched The Simple Life with uh Paris, Paris and Nicole. And Nicole. I oh, watched sure. that live like with my mom every week i watched the shit out of that i lived in new york city when it was on yes everyone needs to go back and revisit that series it is hilarious and like i can't believe it was on tv (laughs) it is one of the best reality things i've ever seen and it really plays more almost like it almost plays like candid camera it's so it's so unscripted and actually like they just let these get this so we're talking a little reality trash, which I don't get yeah. to do very often. So I'm going to do it for a second. But um, if you haven't seen this, folks, we're talking early 2000s, Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie doing regular jobs. That was the whole <laughs> premise of the show. They just had to get a fucking job, any job. And they work at like a convenience store, a gas station or like the movies, whatever stupid thing. Tour around the country in a like RV. It is so funny. So dumb. And it literally is just like, let these girls loose in what would be anyone else's regular life. Yeah. And, um, and they can't period. I remember uh, it was pretty watchable. I did watch that with my mom. I, I tend to not like reality as well, but I like them if it's like a competition sort of thing. And I especially like, yeah, so that's what I got into. That was my genre for a long time before I started my, the job I have now. Yeah, I haven't thought about the simple life in such a long time. That is so funny. I remember it was a good one. They were at like a microchip factory or something, and there was <laughs> there was this big sort of like I don't know. You walk into this computer, and it was like all like beeps and flashing lights, and they're like, you know what? This would be such a great club. <laughs> <laughs> So they move these stanchions and they like put a like velvet rope outside of it and they try to make a club for the workers. And Nicole Richie's like in the background. It is so stupid and so so dumb. And you know what? It's interesting because I remember this is like a, and I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before. Maybe I just told somebody, Um, but it's definitely like a school memory. And I I don't talk about it very often, but this is, it's such a full circle weird thing for me. I remember uh, freshman year, maybe. So you might have been still at school. It might have actually been during Two Gentlemen of Verona, the rock opera, which is one of my favorite things ever, actually. <laughs> not unironically. Unironically, one of my favorite things ever. It was fucking awesome. It was pretty fun to do. It was, I was a follow spot on that. I don't know if you know, but I was like still in DMP. And so I was literally like pointing lights at you guys through that oh, whole run. I watched it every night and I never got tired of it. Wiley and I sang that songs from that shit for years. 
Cause it was so like weirdly bad, but you guys were so good. It was like, this is what you do. You take mega talent and do like weird dog shit script, including like the brilliance of like Matt and the people who fixed the music and made it good. And it right. was like, and then, and no one recorded it, which is crazy. Cause we literally made it into a new thing. Anyway, very inside. No one recorded it. Not in like a, not the way it should have been recorded. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like it should have been like recorded studio style, like the music that they arranged and changed and shit. It was amazing. Oh, God, I love um, like on that show. They so dope. That. Anyway, anyway, during that show, we were doing the show. Um, mm. We all ended up at a party or at a house or something. And everybody was watching Jersey Shore. And I remember like wandering into the room and seeing everybody watching the show. And I was like, man, I respect a lot of these people. This sucks. <laughs> I don't like, think I, that I thought less of everybody in that room. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if you're just kissing ass because there's someone older than you in here who likes it too, but this is stupid. And I thought these were real artists and I got all up in my ass about it. I was like, y'all are stupid. And I left and I, uh, fully, this is my whole life. This is my living. I put my wife through grad school with that genre of TV. Amazing. Um, I did some PA work when I first moved to the city and I like, Worked on the Justin Bieber documentary. I like unscripted PA work is great. I, that's why I tell people like, fuck the bartending thing. Unless you can get a cheers. Obviously, right. if you can be Sam Malone, don't pass it up. But like, oh. if you can, I tell everybody, I'm like, get on a set. There's so many jobs on a set. And at least you get to be on a set and you learn some more shit. And then when you're on any, you're around any camera for the rest of your life, you got a little bit more perspective. You get a little bit more lay of the land. You're on call sheets, paying attention to how shit is made. It just makes more sense to me than like service stuff. No, yeah. I mean, I get that. But <clears throat> I mean, the world's different now. But then like you had to be available for an audition in person, like around Manhattan, wherever it is. So sure. if you're on set, it's not as flexible. So like the the restaurant job, I think why people do it is because generally it doesn't start until the evening and then it's flexible as fuck. So, right. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing to do, do while you're actively hustling auditions and that's what you're doing. But if you, it depends on your situation too. This is a thing yeah. my wife and I talk about all the time because she comes from money and I don't. And she comes from a group of like a community of people. She's from Calabasas. So oh, she's okay. like, yeah. So, and she's not, she, she always says, uh, she's the one story house on the two, you know, in the street. And I'm like, it's For fucking sure. Calabasas. Get out, get out of here. That's and so, um, anyway, but we talk often about like, there's all these industries and hobbies and things that when you're a kid, you're like, that's cool. I want to do that. And nobody is super clear to you about which ones specific because they don't know specifically are for rich people to do uh-huh like yeah, no. the theater yeah <laughs> like unless you have some <laughs> kind of bankroll or trust fund spending all your time trying to make a full living in the theater is possible but incredibly difficult and to tell anyone otherwise is just lying to them it's crazy well, i mean it's uh <clears throat> it's especially hard right now like so I, I uh, teach at the five-week summer program at Yale during the summer. And, uh, oh, fuck yeah, dude. That's cool. Thanks, man. Um, I have a great time. It always like, inspires me. But this year, you know, we always have a Q&A with them, like auditioning for grad school is what it's like to get an agent or a manager, like sort of like uh, because right. 
the student body is like the youngest one is a junior and sometimes the oldest one like this summer we had like a 45 year old nurse so it's like wide range all over um, the place yeah and this summer we were like they're an agent will not hire you <laughs> they will not sign you sorry uh the strike is going on right all of the regional theaters are like truncating their seasons they're doing co-productions we just had like or a theater shut down or go dark for a season. It's just like, it's a weird time, especially to be a theater artist to say, if you're do not you, ready. Do you, yeah, exactly. And like, we, we just had a friend of ours, like win Miss Colorado and cool. congratulations. Yeah, it's great. I knew a girl who went to school, mm. of the arts, who was like uh Miss teen Georgia. And I think after school, of the arts, she became Miss Georgia. And I've met well, a lot Richie of pageant people. Was Miss Kentucky. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. Um, either way, I've known a lot of pageant people. My family used to make like pageant dresses and stuff. So I've been around the shit my whole life. Sure. And uh, it is just expensive. It takes a lot of time. It's really hard. And it costs you way more than you'll ever make unless yeah. you find a really clever way to pivot it into something else. Kind of like reality TV. If mm. you can find a way to become a mega franchise, real housewife, which first of all, they're already rich. That's the premise of the show. Oh, or shit. somebody else who's already rich. And that's the premise of the show. Kardashian, whatever. Like, hey, we started off rich. Now we're going to go do this. If that's your show, it's different. But for reality shows about like regular people, even the ones like on the dance show. So you think you could dance. There are people right now who are on that show who made it all the way to like third or fourth or second or even first and they have a regular job mm -hmm. that wasn't that didn't solve anything for them that didn't like change their life in any other way than like for a little while mm -hmm. like for a few minutes unless they found a way to pivot it into something else and so it's like there's all of these jobs that like if you can find a way to swing it it can happen but other ones that like are just adjacent to that right next to it that you can still be in the thing and do your thing you like, but you could live on it. Mm -hmm. Production is like one of those things why I always kind of hawk it. It was like, especially with my theater background, I felt underqualified for it, but it turns out I wasn't. Yeah, no, it's all the same skill sets. Well, they don't give a shit. I wish <laughs> it was that. I uh, wish it was like, oh, you've done that. So fucking totally. And people told me that's what the fuck was going to happen. When I was leaving school, everyone was like, look, it's the same stuff. And if you want to do film and TV, they're going to be like, oh, you do theater? Totally. They're going to be like, ah, you do theater. Damn. That's how they're going to respond. A hundred percent. They're not going to think you know what you're talking about. They're going to think you're some theater art dork and you don't know anything about real work. And it's like, for the most part, yeah, they're like, ah, too bad. They'll let you be a PA and start from the very beginning and work your way up for sure. But no, they don't give a shit. And it doesn't even work laterally in that business either. That's one of the things that's a little bit tough. That's why I say it makes good beginning work because they'll hire anybody at the beginning or at the low levels. And then you can hop up one more level to anything that's interesting to you. You want to be like a makeup assistant. You want to be an audio assistant, camera assistant. There's like one level above PA. It's pretty easy to get to if you just meet some people, show a little proficiency and pop up. Uh, and then you have to make a career out of it. And that's the thing you know how to do. You can take side gigs and keep it as a little side hustle because you know how to change batteries and cards in a camera. Something yeah. simple. It's not yeah. hard and it pays pretty good. Totally. It's like 
you can build that side skill set up to that like level two character and like video game terms, like get that just like to level two and then you can play that part whenever you want. But it's tougher when you get higher up because like, for instance, when I got to field producing, the lateral movement's not a thing. And this happens all the time too. I've noticed in corporate, the corporate world, which is like, for instance, one time I was between jobs and I've been working on a lot of dance shows. Like we talked about dance with stars. So you think dance, uh, and then other competition reality. And so I tried to go out for uh, a cooking competition shows, like a billion of them. It was in the boom of that. Oh, sure. Everybody cooking shit. Right. Still going, but right. it was big, big boom, like four or five years ago. And I tried to go out for one of those and they were like, must have competition cooking experience. And I was like, that's so, so many neat. people. That's <laughs> so specific. And I was like, is it really that different when I get someone on camera and I'm like, tell me about making the cha-cha versus making the fucking flan. Like who gives a shit? Right. It's the same thing. Was it hard? What was the struggle? Like it, yeah. it's all the same. Absolutely. But they don't think of it that way. Most people hiring, I think almost in any field, they're like, man, I just want someone who's done something like it before. They don't believe people can be taught things as more openly as like they tell us when we're young artists, sure. in my opinion. I think that that's actually um, like really constricted in our lifetime too. I think it was more actually probable mm. people could... Uh, you think like, that advice comes from a time when it was true? Yeah, I think I think the way that we've moved forward with capitalism and <laughs> social media, everything sure. just one wants to like the thing that they get. Like if you look at casting, like people want to cast the person there. You don't right. see like a whole lot of actors who get to do a Denzel or get to do a, a Leo DiCaprio and play all these varied roles. They are just they're sort of like what they present as. For right. The most. Let's see how many times we can get that out of you yeah and then you'll be done totally yeah that's kind of a drag but it's you know what i was talking i was talking to somebody recently about this too in that you know I've, I've been making tv shows for say five or six years and almost all the tv shows i've worked on have been for like you know major networks either like proper networks or cable and when you make this is another thing that no one fucking talks about when you make theater. And I don't know how much this happens in professional theater because I never had a career in professional theater. So maybe you can enlighten me if this dynamic exists in the same way. The network hires a production company to make a TV show. Okay. That is how it works everywhere. Comedy Central only has so many creative people working there in this business model. So what they do is they hire Johnny Reese Entertainment, and Johnny Reese produces it by hiring all the creative team, all the people who write the show, figure out how to shoot it, all the details. They've agreed on what the show's going to be, but how to make that happen, that's not what Comedy Central does. So luckily they have Johnny Reese Entertainment on tap. They call him. He hires everybody from the writers to the directors to everybody. He's the producer. And then we turn in a show to the network. And the network goes, ah, okay. We like a lot of this, but we have a shitload of things we don't like, and you need to change all of them. There's now a political conversation that has to happen between the executive producer, showrunner, you, who works for the entertainment company that you may own, hopefully, and 
the network. And you guys have to negotiate what the show ends up being in order to like get it down to time and make the sensors and not piss off the advertisers. And that whole conversation has to happen. So the thing is, is that the whole reason the network hired the production company is because they need their creative input. They're the writers in the WGA kind of conversation, right? Right. You need us because you couldn't come up with it by yourself. That's the whole point. And that's why you don't really staff us to really work at your place all the time. You hire us over here. Mm -hmm. So you need our creative energy. But yet then you give us creative notes on what's happening because you're buying a thing from us and we're making it for you. You ordered a chair, we're making it to your specs. Right. But now you have notes. So, okay, we take the notes. But fundamentally, you're not creative enough to have made the show on your own. So yet you have this weird political situation where you're a non-creative person giving creative notes to creative people trying to tell them how to do the thing that you couldn't do without them in the first place. Yeah. And so you I end up on the ground like, how do we solve this stupid problem where they want them to wear a hat in scene five for no reason? Right. I think, Does that exist I mean, in the theater, that dynamic, any version of that? Yeah, I think... Uh with the like big money producers for sure the like broadway plays are working yeah. that way probably well, right commercial theater yeah and then sure. i mean some in the not-for-profit that i'm trying to develop a sort of production company in the way that you are describing that for theater yeah. like, have a stable of like artists and like this is something that i've been working on for like a year and a half right now because that's a fucking great idea man thanks we'll see nobody steal it hey Thursday, September 7th, 2023, timestamp. Take his idea and I'll hunt you down. <laughs> yeah, so like I just, I realized that like, mm, I I want to be like an actor, artistic director, sort of like a, um, you know, Kenneth Branagh does this. He has his own yeah. company and he just like hires his people and he directs and, you know, now he's doing like Marvel and shit. But, and it uh, happens in Hollywood all the time. Yeah, it's people start their production companies, but yeah. it's not like Judd common. Apatow. Yeah. So I just, but why it's not as common in theater is because there is no, generally, there is no return on the investment. Right. So it's like, it's way harder to raise money and keep a thing afloat. So that's been this sort of game we've been playing as we pitch this idea to people. What is your opinion on the idea of? the commerciability that's a word of fucking theater as far as the return like there's got to be a way to maximize what is fundamentally requires a limited audience the reason film and television doesn't have this problem is because the audience is unlimited you just right. keep showing it to new people over and over and over and over again and that's what why is why residuals are a thing because right. you can never stop fucking showing it to people so it continues to be an asset Live performances, we all continued at one point. That's what we're renegotiating. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. One day it'll continue again. Let's yeah. knock on wood. <laughs> right. But um, with that being said, obviously the fundamental idea of live performances, you got to fucking be there. But like, is there a way, obviously we can't match the reproduction value of film and television in the same way. But I mean, what what do you think is the the answer to that? I've heard live streaming the plays, you know, do, I mean, different things. Like, what are your thoughts on all that? Cause it's got to find a way to make the money or 
It'll never be the living that you and I as theater lovers want it to be for so many people who also love it and would do it if it would pay their fucking bills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we don't have to solve this today. I'm just curious. Yeah, your like, thoughts. Like, that is a big question. Uh, well, I think the fundamental aspect of that is theater would have to be more a part of the American consciousness than it is. How it's do you not. That? It's not uh, important to Americans. Uh, right. Arts funding gets cut first all the time, strangely. Like, arts are not big for Americans. So I think we'd have to just change our perspective on that. I think more people would have to see theater. I think it would be, I think it definitely need to be subsidized by the government, like the European countries do. Mm. And I think you know what's wacky is that it's backwards because you spend 12 years of school only able to take theater class, not mm-hmm. fucking film and TV class. And then you graduate and they're like, oh, if you want a career, you need to do the film and TV thing. You're like, well, you've just taught me theater for 12 years. Oh, that's awful. And now you're now you're telling they me it's not a good why would it be an elective this whole fucking time if I can't use it to do this? And like careful buddy we let you be in beauty and the beast so now you need to go be on the office and it's like what this yeah, doesn't make well, any sense i mean I, this is a whole nother can of words but i think acting training fundamentally needs to change because uh, right now conservatory training for the most part i mean they're starting to change it now um is based on the repertory company model which hasn't right. existed since the late 80s early 90s so yeah to continue to train people in this way as though they're going to move into this career is uh, unethical <laughs> because it doesn't sense. Right. I agree with that. I also, okay, so we don't have that much time, but this is definitely something I want to get your take on because we've, we've been kind of dancing around this, but I've been kind of, if you've heard recent episodes, you know I've been looking into this. What do you think about the, okay, so let's let's put aside the repertory model as a problem, which we both agree is everything you just said. I agree with you. Put aside that model and imagine a program, a conservatory program that is based on today's economy for artists, but is also at the intensity level in, in artistry, uh, skill set building and maturity of content that it can, that it can and has been in the places where it's worked well. They put yeah. it that way. If, if all that could get ironed out and it could be a solid program, that's really good for, for artists who want to get great. Do you think 18 is too young to go to that program? The one I just described. I don't think that anyone should go to a BFA conservatory. This is my new opinion. Um, I think if you want to do it, like go at 22, I think in the way that you're sort of alluding to, um, live some life, go to a liberal arts school that like allows you to dabble in a lot of things, read books, create a perspective. And then if you still want to do it, then go to said conservatory. You think so? Yes, eighteen is too young for that yes. kind oh, yes. yeah, of that is- work. Yeah, and I even think that like 
so I went to grad school and I went to, I started Yale at uh, 28. And even, I really wanted to go to Juilliard and the universe took care of me <laughs> by not letting me into Juilliard because the kids or the, the adults who came straight out of college, like into the program at Yale, I was like, what, what are you doing? Like live some life. Like what is your perspective? This is like, uh, it's not just school. Um, so right. I had gone to Juilliard and gone with 18 year olds, which is what they do. They mix their classes between grad and undergrad. Um, I know that I would have been like out of my mind, <laughs> but I do think, yeah, I think 18 is too young. Cause you also need to have lived some life to go to an acting school. Do you have anything else on that? That's a very interesting sentence to me. Yeah. Well, like I think about the, like Sconey's class, for instance. If I were able to take Sconey's class now, it would be such a different experience because I've seen like people walking down the street with like bags on their back and hunched. Uh, like now I'm You're like, drawing from more experience when you get in that space to create. It's almost like you yeah. have more colors in your palette. Absolutely. Not only because you've like seen more, but you've also experienced more as a person. So Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. I think you're 100% right. And it's weird because it sounds like I'm it sounds like I made a podcast about a school I'm slowly uh building a rival to and I'm not <laughs> that's not the point of what I'm saying cuz I'm just trying to envision I'm trying to envision an education for me when I was a kid and on the trajectory I was on of regular school not working out and needing something different that really applied the best parts of me and said like, you know, these things maybe aren't strong skill sets for you. Instead of condemning you for that or blaming you for that, you're good at all this other stuff. And it so, sounds weird, but it's like, I'm going to put it very basely. And this is, I'm, I'm, I'm just like boil it down to what I feel like applies to me the most. I spent 12 years in school and not one teacher told me that being funny was valuable. And I don't, and that's fucking dumb because it's one of the best things I, about me. It's one of the things I've worked the hardest on. I spent my whole life studying it, working on craft in like literal ways and just practical ways. And it's like a quality as a human person on earth in American society that I, I have. You look at my stat chart on D&D, &D, that's a fucking 10. Yeah. No one ever was like, that's, there you go, dude. Thank you for being a part of America. And having a skill set, it was, why aren't your grades high enough in, in chemistry and math and reading? I'm was like, it ever fucking dumb? Did you ever get like in trouble for it? For what Be part? For being funny. Like I used oh, to get yeah. bored for talking oh. much. And like, I had to sit in the corner silently and write lines, like all yep. that sort of stuff. It was, yeah. I had to like take it away from. I'll me. tell you, I'll be even more specific about how I think it, the first time I remember it costing me, or at least, and I don't, I don't know for a fact. I was a kid. I put a lot of this together later. I, I've rethought it and thought, oh, maybe it didn't happen that way. But I don't know if I've told this story before, so this might be an actual new one. I was in seventh grade math. I was always good at math. 
I was never like amazing at it, but I was like pretty good at math. No problems in it. My biggest problems were in reading comprehension because I have really bad ADD and like little mild dyslexia. And so I read slow and I don't retain shit very well. You taught um, me a word in this uh, thing, but now I don't remember what it is, but it's the, the dyslexia for numbers. Dysgraphia. Dysgraphia, which yeah. I never knew that there was an actual term for that, but I totally have that. I have a little bit of that too. Twos and yeah. fives when I was a kid, upside down and uh, yeah, all that stuff. So, but I, I figured out math really quick and my brain puts things together pretty quick. And so I was always good at math, but in sixth grade, we had regular math, seventh grade, we had regular math. And in seventh grade, regular math, there was a part of the year where you could take a test to see whether or not you could start algebra in eighth grade and get ahead of the overall Algebra, geometry, algebra two thing you got to do. Mm -hmm. And you could start it early. Or would you have to take math eight, regular math, and then start algebra when you're in ninth grade because you weren't ready, thus putting you behind other I people? Remember. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one day, half the class was gone. And me and my buddy Bert sat next to each other. And we cut up like crazy and we kind of tortured the teacher and gave her a lot of shit. She was mean. And mm. so we, we were sarcastic with her and kind of talk shit. We're always fucking class up, which to be fair, but one day half the class is missing and me and Bert are like, where the fuck is everybody else? And they're like, is there sick or is there an assembly? Where are we going? What's going on? And she was like, no, they're taking the algebra test. And we're like, what's the algebra test? And they didn't tell us. <laughs> It wasn't like so everyone's up. entitled to take it. It was like our behavior. It's like we weren't adults enough to even take the test. And I was like, this is about aptitude, not how much you fucking like us. Yeah. And I remember being so pissed when I found out. Incidentally, eighth grade math was one of my favorite classes I ever had because it was all a bunch of fucking losers like me who for one reason or another were either hilarious or bad at math. And we had a great time not learning. But yeah. It was like the beginning of what would later be like more and more holding me back for one reason or another when I was like always outrageous on test scores and standardized stuff was off the charts, but it was like, eh, but he, you know, he didn't do the essay for the final assignment and that was 15%. So he gets a 70, so he's a loser. And I just dealt with that over and over again, all the way until I graduated, even though I'm like at theater, community theater, winning awards and doing stuff, but but they were like, that's fun. That's like a fun thing you go do. No one yeah. was like, here's how to do it. My family didn't know how to help their mechanics and shit. And like, you, you're in the Air Force, you know, with the, your, your folk. So it's like, they don't know how to be like, here's exactly what to do with it. And that's not their fault. But someone in the fucking community could have been like, it's okay that you don't show up in this way because there's, <laughs> don't give up on yourself. Yeah. And you're weird. <laughs> I was, I was like very, very lucky that I had like teachers who recognized that about me. So we're like, Hey, yeah. you know that you've got like a really shitty family life. Uh, so, you know, that is dope. Yeah. I have been very blessed. Arts teachers or did you have some good, like academic teachers also who were just like that? Mostly, uh, like English teachers primarily. Yeah, My, my senior English teacher, man, that girl got it. She understood yeah. what I, who I was, what I was going through. And then there was this dude, well, two people, um, this guy, Fulton Burns, who was the theater teacher at the high school before I went to governor's school. The dope ass name. 
I know. And he taught, there was a summer arts program called START, S-T-A-R-T-S, and uh, for middle schoolers. And he taught there. And he like taught me like physical comedy and then stage combat. Like I was doing nice. like fighting and quarter stabbing and like eight Learning how to fall down and shit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he like sort of took me under his wing, which is really great. And he was the one who told me about the governor's school. And then I went to the governor's school and there was a man, rest in peace. I love you in my whole heart. Uh, his name is Greg Levy or was called Bougie. Um, this like big flamboyant gay man from Columbia, South Carolina. And he ran at the time, the two week summer program called the Academy at the governor's school for uh, rising sophomores. Mm. And at that time, my parents were going to like a terrible sort of like lifetime movie divorce. Um, and that was the first time that I'd met anyone that was like me. Like, so like you and the theater community in the same yeah. way for me there. And he was like, Hey, if you don't start taking this more seriously, like you're going to be trapped where you are forever. And mm. so like, and I remember they did not recommend me for the residential high school program. And I was like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. But Love he that. became like such a huge, huge big mentor to me he died in 2009 pancreatic cancer crazy Oof. you know have you ever heard any of the episodes of i talked about the curse all the theater uh, mentors i killed have you oh heard those, yes those I stories think, yeah and you you almost killed gerald right almost killed gerald yeah. damn if i didn't try <laughs> uh <laughs> no it's yeah it's so ironically after i told him that story in the meeting, I told him about the whole thing, and he was like jokingly, "Like I don't want you anywhere near me." <laughs> I was yeah. like, "What hey, year was that?" Uh, that would have been uh, 2010. Would have been like your graduating year. Yeah, I think I have a theory that Gerald kind of knew something was going on mm. um, because that year they did this sort of like retrospective. I don't know if you remember this at school, but it was my fourth year. Gerald had us all meet and watch this documentary about the group theater and mm. all the teachers that came out of it. And he went down the line of all of our teachers and was like, you are direct lineage from these people because of these people that you're being taught by. And I was like, that's really interesting. And then he went and he did that play. Light up the sky. Westport. Um, oh, yeah, like Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah, Franken. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he hadn't done that in a long time. Right. I didn't feel like he knew something was going to be happening. So he Well, he, it was all, all of it, right? Because it yeah. was supposed to be, I think, a run. It was like he did Diary of Anne Frank and he did Light Up the Sky at school and he was supposed to direct Oklahoma. Oh, right. And so it was supposed to be this like big... I think it was meant to be like kind of a final run because I don't think he thought he was going to be doing a lot more. And he almost made it through all of it. Yeah, he really did. He was literally in the middle of Oklahoma and they had to replace him with Terrence Mann because we just didn't have a, he well, couldn't be there. And it was an sure. all school musical. Um, Jake? Yeah, it was wild. Um, I was very, I was very, and we've talked about this before, but I was very lucky to have him as uh, a teacher at all because he could have easily just been like, Done. Oh yeah, that's true. 
no, he would never have been like done. No, no, he wouldn't. I said that wrong. He could have easily was the wrong beginning of the sentence. Uh, That might've killed him. He, um, yeah, he was, but he was very gracious to um, spend his time trying to communicate with us through like the aphasia and stuff like that. And, and still talk to us and teach us. And, Man, it's crazy. I think, honestly, in a weird way, a lot of people that I've talked to are like, it's too bad. You didn't get to spend more time with him when he was, you know, more of himself. And I've never, I've never agreed with that. I mean, I kind of also wish I could go back in time and spend time with lots of people at a different time. But like, I don't regret a moment of how it worked out for me because there he he was a different person i didn't meet him before and i did get to know him and i worked on a couple of things where you know we interacted and stuff and i i i did have an idea of this person and god was he talked about i put all that together into having an idea the dude that i had as a teacher who had had two strokes and was trying to figure out how to stand up and get out of the building and into the car like I still learned more from that motherfucker than half the people I've ever met who had all their shit together. And, and I also, it's weird. Cause like when I was, it's kind of like when I was a kid, I don't know if you had any of this with any of your grandparents, you grow up hearing all the stories of how your parents experienced your grandparents and you get a little scared. She's like, granddad used to beat the shit out of me. You're like, Oh God. And then you go to granddad's house and he's like, do you want some candy? Yeah. And it's like, this doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it kind of felt that way a little bit with Gerald because like, I felt like all his other students were like his kids and the four of us got to be his grandkids because he was tired and it was hard. So he was nice as fuck to us in comparison to the stories we heard where people were, he was still hard on us. He would be like, that's bad or that's not good. Or I disagree. He wasn't mean. He didn't have the spirit for it anymore. Yeah. I mean, actors have such a different relationship to that too. Mm-hmm. so like gerald and i never got along like, mm, i, I yeah. respect him like sure. very much i've learned a lot from him i saw my first two probably plays because he recommended them to me august osage county which i know you have an affinity for love it a uh, play called mary stewart uh but yeah he did not get me and i did not get him it is um it is as an, an actor i got yeah. him as an artist Right. I, his technique was not for me. You know what I've found in general in talking to people who have been his students as actors? Uh, and you, I mean, you've heard a lot of this. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why he picked the people he picked. This is my opinion. And some people may fucking not like this. I don't give a shit. I think he picked a lot of the people he picked as like acting teachers and staff because I don't think his assessment of people off the bat or even over time was always that great. Yeah. I, I have, I have talked to countless people. It's not, and I want people to know it's not, you're not alone in that. You're not like the one enigma. He couldn't crack. He couldn't figure out a lot of fucking people. He couldn't figure out if they were directors, if they were actors, uh, what kinds of type and role. Again, this is because he's old as shit. And he was thinking like it was the eighties still, Totally. It was a lot of blind spots that aren't his fault and some that are. And like, 
the things he he brought to the table. Dude, why the fuck do you think he was the dean of the school and he didn't go pick everybody? Well, you know, that's that's for part 20 of it. years. He sent the bobs because he knows it's not what the fuck he does. Right. But I mean, I'm also like thankful for him because of the tribe of artists that he carries around. Right. With him. So, like that's his strength. Yeah. So like where I like I, I really have learned a lot from him. I whenever I go to the library to watch a movie, uh, a movie, uh, a taped Broadway production, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason for viewing. And I always say Gerald Freeman's acting class as a as a way to like honor him. But I love but that. I he and I never got along and he never got me as an actor. But right. like, Laura Henry really fucking did. And Laura right. Henry's an act, you know, and Ashley Gates is like my big sister. Like Michelle Shea is like in my life, but these are people you carried around. And that's what yeah. I respected about him. You know? Yeah. It was a cool thing. And I think that's one of the things I learned as well that I take everywhere I go, which is like, there's nothing wrong with working till midnight, but you don't have to be responsible. You don't have to be good at everything. And yeah. it jived, it jived with how I just explained how I kind of grew up. And when I met him and he's this legend and everybody's all this stuff and the globe and the blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but he's also <laughs> sucks at a bunch of this stuff, kind of, yeah. you know? And he has these uh, he has these other holes and he has these other issues. But he's great at these things. And what he's really great at and was great at at the time that I met him was supplementing the things he wasn't good at with other people who were good at them. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to admit they have those holes and then therefore they don't hire the right people or surround themselves with the right artists because they want to be the best at everything or they want to do everything themselves or whatever the shit. And that shit fucking crashes almost every time. It don't last 20 years. I should forward you. I think you'd probably like this. I'll find it. Sure. Um, my class uh, did uh, like Zoom honoring of Gerald when he passed away in 2020. Mm. And we all like sort of like were giving thoughts. And I it's was also just, like your tenure. Mm, yeah, you didn't get well, to have. You'll be so jealous. We're planning our 14 year in the spring. We're, we're going to school and doing it. Yeah. That's fun. It's crazy you're not doing it at homecoming this year. Well, the idea happened post homecoming, and aren't your isn't your class going to homecoming? Our tenure, yeah. I mean, yeah. but dude, we'll see. Bunch of yeah. hipsters. If you're listening to this, I meant what I said. Bunch of hipsters. <laughs> we'll see if yeah. they're there. Yeah, John Bowers was like, yeah. Next time, try to like link it up with homecoming. But Wayne is now going to MLU grad acting, so right. we're trying to uh, get on his spring break. So he hell yeah, yeah. Um, but our class. Yeah, so it would have been our 10-year reunion, and we did this thing, and I was, like, biting my nails. I was like, what What do I carry with me that I learned from Gerald uh, other than pain? <laughs> uh, but, you know, the the daily practice of being an artist, you know, that he would always talk about the Zen spiral, drawing the spiral, that, to me, is, like, what I took from Gerald. It's, like, a daily practice. It's why I'm still in scene-steady class every week. It's why I take all these classes, why I went to grad school. It's, like, our our profession somehow is the only art form where people don't keep practicing. Mm. It, I think which it's is idiot. outrageous because the performance is so close to practice, and yet yeah. it's not. Totally, yeah. I mean, I think the closest thing to acting is watching like the U.S. Open. <laughs> I think. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I just think like a really good tennis game is like a really good play. 
Oh, I see what you mean in the dynamics of like the back and forth and the you know, focus on the other person and all that shit. Yeah. And setting yeah. the ball, the energy. And you have to be in like the flow. You can't be thinking about what you're doing. You have to just like listen and respond. That's what I think. One distraction and all of a sudden you suck. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the joke of makes thinking. He's like, Alcaraz, no. Oh. I'm really glad I got to talk to you today, man. This was super fun. I know. What a surprising like spiral that we went through. That's so funny. Hey, that's how it goes, right? Do, how do well, you feel given that you were so prepared more than anyone for this conversation? <laughs> do you feel like that was helpful? How did it go? Review you yourself. Know, all, all preparation didn't come in. I'm telling you, I literally have a notepad of like notes. Of like, That's wild. Like, oh, well, Casey Brown said that, or Steve Coulter said that, or, you know. <laughs> right. Oh, one hey. thing I did say about 2012. Please. Who are lovely, lovely people, but you will like bring up whenever they're on, they're like, they were like kind of insular. Yeah, and I've said that. That was our, yeah. that was my observation with my friends. Well, and I think that there's a reason be- for that. And that's because they were the only class who never did their monologues in front of the entire school. They just did them for the faculty. And I remember they, that. Yeah. So therefore, no one knew who they were for a long time. Did they know that? I mean, maybe they will now if they listen to this, but that right. was- a- We'll have to clip it out and send it to all of them. <laughs> it wasn't but, your fault, you babies. They hid you away. Yeah, they did. They hid them away. They hid you away from us. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. And I feel like- um, it, yeah, man, that makes a huge difference. That monologue night. Yeah, because you, you spend, just like introduce yourself as an artist. It's like a weird. You spend the whole fall semester being the person who did that monologue. <laughs> That's so true. Because there is yeah. nothing. You're like the chick that was tied up to the chair with the yeah, 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 yeah. That was cool. That was cool. Do you want to get a drink? Yeah, that's a hundred percent the the whole fall. Whenever I see Megan Stanky, I still remind her of Bunk. Like it is seared into my memory, her monologue. I did that and I had already been on campus for a while. And I did monologue night with my class when they came in as with the class below me. But I was starting as a second year. It was like the transfer year. And Besseta was like, when you come in the fall, I want you to do a monologue and a song. And I was like, okay, for the faculty. And he was like, yeah. And then you should do monologue night for the kids. And I was like, but everybody already, half these people already know who I am. I think it's fine. Right. And I'm not a first year. And they're like, yeah, but you're new to the drama school and it's, it's initiation. I was like, okay. And so I did it. And I was worried everyone was going to think I was in that class. Oh, like funny. all year. And they didn't. And it was <laughs> fine. Um, but so- I got for the rest of that year, people who already knew me would be like, Oh, you did the, Fuck you, or whatever my line was. I don't remember the line. They remember the line. Um, I'll never forget, Tanya Belov was like center, center, sitting next to Blake Griffin, mm. and she watched my entire monologue like this. And I was so nervous because it was like where, sort of like I had put my like point of focus was like kind of in between them. And I was like, Eventually, Tanya and I became very good friends. I love Tanya. I talked to her on the phone all the time. And she was like, Baby, I was so shocked. You look like you look like little Blake. I could not believe. 
I was like, we don't look at all alike, but okay. <laughs> they saw something. Yeah. So funny. You know, my favorite uh, Tanya-ism was, and we got to wrap this up, but my favorite thing Tanya used to do is if you would, if you're going down the stairs the opposite way or something, or if you passed her in the hall and you bumped into her, if you said, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, she would always go, I ain't know. <laughs> not it's okay, not me too, none of that. I know you are. She's you the best. Be. We have to do this thing at Yale called the interview project where it's like a verbatim thing. And uh, I knew the whole time I was going to do her. So I went to North Carolina and did like a two and a half hour interview with her. And then you take it and you make it into a 15 minute solo piece and you become them. Amazing. And I fun time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the most That's beautiful awesome. thing. Yeah. I can't believe I, I'm, I'm going to try to hit as many people as I can this fall when I, I go to North Carolina, but... I can't believe I haven't had her on the show. Oh, you've got to. I know. She might be, it might be the only episode I should have ever done and I haven't done it. It's insane. I really want her to be the moderator of our reunion. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> I think she should moderate every reunion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think almost anyone I've ever seen do it, any dean, assistant dean, should have ever done it. And I think <laughs> Tanya should have always done it and should always do it. Totally. And, and, yeah, each everyone else can eat shit. That is the that would be the best version of that. And you know what? You know who I think would be second best? Me. And I yeah. still think Tanya would be better at it than I would. I was thinking oh about that. Oh my god! That you're doing at the elephants for your or, or around the homecoming. I was like, why don't they just have Rob moderate this and record them all? Like that. That is a that is an idea, and we'll see what happens in the future. I don't think it's going to be the last homecoming I go to. It's a coincidence that this official homecoming is happening the same year as my ten year graduation. But um, yeah, no, it's something I always want to be a part of. And like I said, I'm always trying. The point of this podcast, a little bit, is to try to figure out like what is the appropriate and most efficient way to educate young people. Like why. Oh, yeah. Why the fuck are we doing it the way we're doing it? Should we be? Is there a better way? And that that goes into all sorts of avenues. Some of them are out of my wheelhouse and it's not even my business to talk about because I don't know anything mm. about it. But some of them are. And some of them, especially about like this experience we keep talking about of like right out of high school and this kind of, I don't know. And maybe maybe we're getting less mature as a group of people. And so 18-year-olds in some universe were ready for some of this stuff in 1975 but like 18 year olds now man they're not ready for some of this exploration some of this analysis of what they've been through some of them need some goddamn therapy before they go there yeah. because it's like yo shit it's going to get rocked and it's if already it's already shaky <laughs> something might yeah. get damaged permanently over here and it's like that's not enough credit given to that and that's unethical well you and I will have to do another episode because I will. We most certainly will be able I will to do talk that. A lot about that. As, That's as our cliffhanger. So much theater education and continues to teach in it. I will. I have a lot. Well, well I, I don't doubt it. Think more on it. I'll think more on it and then we'll have you back on and we'll talk about it. Wait, wait. All right. Love you, buddy. Love you, dude. I was so nervous and now I feel so full. So, yay. Good. Well, feel the warmth. Just feel it. Take it in. Mm-hmm.